let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Kings chapter 15. 1 Kings chapter 15. This chapter has always intrigued me. It's the account of two kings, a father and a son. And these kings also lived and ruled under almost exactly the same conditions, and yet with very, very different results. Now, both were king over the nation of Judah. Judah was the smaller of the two nations, Israel and Judah, after it divided, after Solomon. Judah was the smaller two, the two tribes to the south, Judah and Benjamin. It's where uh, Jerusalem was, so it was very valuable. Judah was the nation that tended to follow the Lord more than Israel. Israel had a lot of problems and a lot of pride that carried over from the wandering in the wilderness, and uh, they never seemed to kind of have their act together. So each was king over Judah. Both were related to King David, who was the spiritual and political example to follow. Uh, So they not only had a family legacy, but they also had uh, the, the privilege and the honor of being uh, in the line, the eternal line of David. And we know that the eternal line of David, God had promised him in his covenant that he would always have a kingdom. And that went all the way down to Jesus, uh, who was from the line of David. Scripture makes that very clear, uh, that Joseph and Mary were both from the line of David. Um, so these, uh, th- this line had an eternal scope to it, And Jesus, obviously, with an eternal kingdom, fulfilled that. So each of these men had an advantage. Each of these men had had the presence of God. Each of these men had the promises of God. They couldn't say they were lacking in any way or that there was a deficiency or, or, or that they weren't clear on the spiritual expectations. Everything was right before them. So with the same family heritage, the same situation, the same throne, uh, the same rights and privileges around them, the same influences, and the Lord ready to bless them, it would seem obvious that they would both kind of have similar lives. But that's what fascinates me about this chapter of Scripture and and really what's important for us to understand and apply this morning because the decisions that each one made spiritually uh, are are reflected of the condition of their heart. And even though their circumstances were similar, they went on very different paths with very different results. If there's ever any doubt uh, about the importance of trusting and loving and obeying God, and about what that does for our lives, this chapter, verses 1 to 15 of 1 Kings 15, uh, removes any questions. If there's ever ever any need for clear-cut evidence that spiritual conditions are controlled by the heart, uh, and that they have uh, undeniable consequences, that, that there is a result of our actions, and a result of where our heart is spiritually, then this passage will remove all doubt. Because this shows how what we have in our heart, what we have in our mind, what we desire, what our priorities are, what we believe, what is important, it it all has an impact on us. We're all born from the same disadvantage. We're all born with a sin nature. We we all are are bereft of any righteousness. We know, as we just celebrated, Jesus takes care of that. God is gracious. Jesus is the one who came to forgive us of our sins. So when we trust in him, uh, we, we are exonerated forever. But now we have a choice. Because even as people who are believers, even as people who are forgiven of our sin, we still now have a responsibility to live like Christ, as we studied all throughout the book of Philippians. 
So we read the Word of God, and we come to it, and we see the decisions that people made in Scripture and the consequences of that, and then we look around us at family and friends and church members and whatever, and we see the decisions that they make and the consequences of that, and then we decide what we're going to do. We decide whether we're going to live righteously or we're going to live according to our old self. Now, I've seen both sides uh, from people that should have lived a certain way and didn't. I've seen PKs and MKs, for those of you that don't know what those are. Those are pastor's kids and missionary's kids. I've seen those uh, children that that had parents that loved the Lord and served the Lord and dedicated their lives to the Lord, uh, who who rebelled against it, uh, hated God, turned away from Him, caused great heartache to their family, and, and just wanted nothing to do with God for whatever reason. I've also seen people who were raised without an ounce of spirituality in their home, whose parents maybe hated God or rejected God or were indifferent to God, that have been miraculously saved and loved the Lord with all their heart and serve Him and have a deep faith. You can see both sides. There's no question that if we raise our kids with the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that if we train up the child in the way they should go spiritually, that when they're old, they won't depart from it. So it's always a greater advantage in our home to raise our kids to know and love the Lord and to raise our kids to know and love ministry and to get them involved early on because they will, they will, that will strengthen them spiritually and they'll have a greater uh, opportunity really to, to know the Lord and to live for the Lord. But we can't transfer our faith. You can't infer your faith on your child. All you can do is teach them. Everybody has to make a decision. Everybody has to make a decision about the Lord. Everybody has to make a decision of whether they're going to follow the Lord. And that spiritual state of our heart dictates how we live. Now, Abijam and Asa, our two kings this morning, prove that. So let's look at the text. We're going to read some verses here. Thank you for bringing your Bibles. Follow along. 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse 1. I'm in 2 Kings because I can't see. So let me go back to 1 Kings. There we go. The joy of getting old, right? In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, King Jeroboam was the king over Israel. He was the first king after the nation divided. So he was king, Jeroboam over Israel. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, was king over Judah. So that's our establishment. The 18th year of King Jeroboam, son of Nebat, Abijam became the king over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Abishalom, or Absalom. He walked in all the sins of his father, which he had committed before him, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God like the heart of his father David. But for David's sake, verse 4, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem to raise up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem, because David did what was right in the sight of the Lord." And had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. Now stop there for a second, because that's an interesting little phrase at the end of verse 5. David, the one God is praising and saying, I gave him an eternal kingdom, and and he was a great king, and he did right what was in the sight of the Lord. It's interesting that in verse 5, that the Spirit takes time to just remind us about David's sin with Bathsheba, which was the defining sin of his life, Because he let his eye wander, he went to another woman, he got her pregnant, the Lord took the child away because of the sin, and that started a a downfall in terms of David's family, 
that led to the rape of Tamar, led to Absalom rebelling, led to Absalom trying to start a coup d'etat, try to take over the nation. David had to run into the hills and flee. Things were never really right in the family after David sinned with Bathsheba. So as God is detailing, the Spirit's detailing this, this story about Abijam and Asa and about the sons of Absalom, it's interesting and not without uh, coincidence that at the end of the verse 5, the Holy Spirit just kind of says, oh, and by the way, he did everything he did all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. See, sin, even as a strong believer, will follow us around. Sin that damages our reputation, sin that damages our witness, sin that damages our life and our family, it will follow us around. Even though God's grace was abundant, David was used in powerful ways. He was a man who desired the Lord. He was a man that was used in amazing ways, wrote scripture. David David is an example of holiness. But the Holy Spirit says, just remember, that one sin followed him around, okay? Just a little side note there. Go to verse 6. There was war between Rehoboam, that's the king of Judah, and Jeroboam all the days of his life until Abijah comes along. Now the rest of the acts of Abijah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. So there's not very much detail here on Abijah. We see that he didn't do right. He only served three years. There was war. That's pretty much it. Abijam, verse 8, slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, became king in his place. So in the 20th year of Jeroboam, the king of Israel, that's two years later, actually three, Asa became to reign as king of Judah. He reigned 41 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Abishalom. Asa did what was right in the sight of the Lord, like David, his father. He also put away the male cult prostitutes in the land and removed all the idols which his father had made. He also removed Makkah, his mother, from being queen mother because she had made a horrid image as an Asherah. And Asa cut down her horrid image and burned it in the brook Kedron. But the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly devoted to the Lord all his days. And he brought into the house of the Lord the dedicated things of his father and his own dedicated things, silver and gold and utensils. Now, again, the reason we read so many verses is I want you to see the comparison and the contrast the Holy Spirit provides. Again, same situation, same circumstances, same title. Everything about them is similar. Both of them are related to Absalom. Both of them are related to this woman named Maka. She was Absalom's daughter. And we know that Absalom, again, was David's son who rebelled, who resented David as a father, who resented that David loved the Lord, resented just about everything. Absalom was a bitter guy, and he decided he was going to take over the kingdom. He stirred up a bunch of people. He, he was almost successful until the Lord stopped him, because the Lord always stops those who oppose him. We need to take confidence in that this morning, even as we see what's going on in the world. The Lord always stops those who oppose him. It may take time. It may be a different way than we expect, but the Lord will always stop them. But Abijam's got this legacy. He's got this, this grandfather, and he's got this father, and apparently he's not convinced about the actions of David. He is convinced about the actions of Absalom. So it says, look at the text, that he committed the same sins 
of his grandfather, the spiritual rebellion of Absalom. He, he, he did the same things Absalom did. Absalom had left a strong legacy, not a good legacy, of unrestrained arrogance and, and rebellion, a rebellious spirit, and, and a, a disrespect for David. He had no fear of God. He just did his own thing. So Abijam looks at that, and he sees Absalom, his grandfather, and, and he looks at David, his great-grandfather, and he doesn't have any respect for David because his grandfather hated David. His grandfather hated that David loved the Lord. His grandfather hated that David was the spiritual leader of the nation. So, so Abijam, as he looks for an example, because we don't see his dad in the picture, we just see that Macha was his mother, but we don't see the dad. So who is his example to look to? Who's the man he looks to? He looks up to Absalom, and he says, well, even though Absalom did the wrong thing, that's what I'm going to do. And look at how the Spirit details it. He says, Abijam's heart was not right with God as David's had been. Look at how the Spirit lays out the contrast here. And notice the second part of it, that God blessed Abijam even despite his sin. Simply because David had loved the Lord so deeply. It says it was for David's sake that God let him continue as king. So while he still had the title, he didn't have God's blessing. Sometimes God will allow you to have something and you'll think, well, God's approved of that. He may have approved of it, but he's not blessing it. I've had people that sit in my office and they justify sin and they say, well, you know, God, it seems like God's, I've, I've never been happier and, and God's, you know, it doesn't seem like God's disciplining this, so what's the problem, Pastor? Why, 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 are you, why are you picking on me? Because I'm happy. And I say, that's fine. God may be allowing you to walk down the path of sin, but he doesn't have his hand on it. He's not anointing it. He's not blessing it. There's no way you can look at the sin and defend that and say, well, God will bless that because God never blesses anything that's opposed to him. He will never put his hand and say, yes, Paul Rhodes, I will anoint that in your life even though it's in complete contradiction to my word, it's in complete rebellion of my Holy Spirit, and it's an offense to Christ. This put Christ on the cross, and you want me to bless that? You, you want me to put my hand on that and say, yes, Paul, do that. That's wonderful. It put Jesus on the cross, but, but it's okay. Go with it. God will never bless that. So God allowed Abijam to be king. He allowed him to have the throne, but that wasn't his ultimate desire. He was just using Abijam to get to Asa. And he was giving us 2,000, 3,000, probably 4,000 years later to draw a contrast on a July morning in Wisconsin to draw a contrast between righteousness and unrighteousness so we can learn from it. See, that's how the Lord works. And it's important for us to kind of have the spiritual maturity and wisdom to see that when it's happening in our own lives. Sometimes God will, will allow things in our lives that maybe aren't related to sin He'll allow things in our lives that don't make any sense to us. And it seems like he's almost indifferent 
or that he's allowing people to prosper that shouldn't prosper, and and it seems like he should help us, but he's not helping us. He's kind of removed from the situation, and we pray, and it doesn't quite seem like we're getting through, and we start to get frustrated, or, or we start to panic, because we're faithfully serving God, and it doesn't seem God's helping, but he's allowing over here. Now, that's where our faith gets tested. That's where God, according to James 1, is really testing to see how much we trust him because that's when the devil starts to come along and starts to whisper into our ears, maybe God isn't really helping you. Maybe, maybe all that stuff that you've read in the Bible isn't, isn't real. When's God going to answer your prayers? When's God going to come along and help you? Why does it seem like God's blessing that person that doesn't love him and he's not helping you? What's going on here? See, the devil just wants to kind of create doubt. He just wants to create the impression that God isn't reliable. And rather than stopping to confidently seek the Lord and, and, and saying, Lord, I don't understand, but I'm going to pray until I do. I'm going to pray until you work. Lord, give me wisdom that's not mine. I need spiritual understanding now because I don't, I don't get it. And my expectations are here. And I'm now starting to feel doubt. And I'm starting to question whether you're reliable. I know you don't want me to do that. So Lord, please just show me. Rather than do that, we start to get worried and we start to fear and we start to wander away from the Lord and we start to say, well, maybe, I'm not going to say it out loud, but maybe God's not quite what I thought he was. Listen, the Lord always knows what he's doing, right? The Lord always knows what he's doing, right? He doesn't get rattled when people sin and oppose him. He doesn't sit in heaven and go, oh, what am I going to do now? Those people are working against me, and, and sin is making headway, and, 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 and I, don't, I don't know what to do. He just uses a plan that works around those who reject him and blesses those who love him. Abijam is in power in Judah. Abijam is following Absalom. He doesn't care about God. He's rebelling against God. He doesn't remove any idols. He takes the nation farther away from the Lord. And God doesn't sit in heaven and go, I don't know what to do. I can't deal with this. How are we going to do this? We need another election. He gives Abijam three years so God can start to raise up. Look, it's right in the text. So God can start to raise up Asa and prepare him. To be in power because Asa will obey God. You see, we've got to trust the Lord even when it's not clear and obvious. God doesn't ever promise us full disclosure. What he promises is that he will be faithful. Our humanity craves tangibility. So we want, Lord, what's next? Tell me, show me, guide me, direct me. I need to know. I need to understand. I need, I need, I need, I need. And God says, all you need is for me to be faithful and you to trust. Because I'm faithful, I will reveal it in my time at my discretion, in what will be best for you. And I will work all things together for your spiritual good if you will just love me. I will never fail you. I will never forsake you. But I do demand your dependence because dependence is what makes you like Christ. So God allows Abijam. 
and he raises up Asa. Now, that raises a question here for us that will kind of take us into the last part of our study. To conform us to himself, as we've studied all throughout Philippians, to conform us to himself, is the Lord working with us or against us? Is God able to use my life and your life and to say, because you're living for Christ, it's so much easier now, the path is so much smoother for me to utilize you and bless you and help you and maximize what I want to do in your life because you're walking with me? Or is he having to work against us and discipline us because we're resistant and we don't want to change? When God looks at you, when God looks at me, does he see someone who's living by his spirit and living by his word and living wisely and constantly humbling ourselves and seeking him and his word and his spirit? Or does he see selfishness and overconfidence and pride. See, see, what fascinates me about Abijam is that he isn't really a hostile opponent of God. It's not like he's, he's trying to drag the nation down and he's being overt and saying, we have to reject God. We're going to tear the temple down. We want nothing to do with that. He's not hostile. He's worse. He's indifferent. He's indifferent. I believe God hates indifference more than he hates hostility because he knows that hostility is human nature. It is in our being, it is in our sin nature to reject God. So it doesn't surprise God when sin is flourishing because he knows that's human nature. What, what really bugs God, according to Revelation 2, is when somebody's just spiritually indifferent. And Abijam was spiritually indifferent. He knew about God. He had the advantage of God, but he just didn't give his heart over. And he pursued what was self-centered and what was sin. Why didn't Abijam look at Absalom and say, you know what? That is not the right way to go. Absalom rebelled. He was pursued. He got his long hair caught in a tree. David's general came along, stabbed him three times in the heart. It was an awful ending. Why didn't his grandson look at his life and say, you know what, that's not the right way to go. Instead, he just shows disregard for the Lord, and the Lord cuts his reign short after three years because all the evil kings in, in Israel and Judah didn't have a long reign. So now, go to, the, go to the last part. Asa takes over. And Asa, starting in verse Eight, Asa has two strikes against him. He's got Absalom's legacy. He's got Abijam's example. And it would be very, very easy for him just to keep the same pattern. It's the same family, same setting, same opportunities, but different results. And it's interesting because the spirit's not at all subtle here. He just repeats it. Jeroboam's still king in Israel. Absalom's daughter, Maka is still the queen mother, and all the influences are still there. But notice the distinction in verse 11, where we see that Asa chooses a course that's diametrically opposite of his father. Abijam refused to give his heart to the Lord. He refused to, to yield to the Lord. But Asa now, look at the verse, inclines his heart to the Lord and chooses to do what's right, just like David had. Abijam had taken no stance whatsoever to remove 
false idols from the kingdom or to bring about any spiritual reform. But Asa gives his heart to the Lord. And he is so aggressive about having a positive spiritual influence that he even takes on his grandmother in order to provide a spiritual environment for the people and for his family and for the nation. And he destroys his father's idols one by one. So, so while God is working in spite of Abijam and around Abijam, now God is able to work in Asa. We don't want to be people that God has to work around because we're in the way of his plan and his will. We want people to be people that God works right through. That God's Spirit can look at Paul Rhodes and say, that's the guy I need to work through. I don't have to steer around him like a bypass or all those crazy roundabouts that they're putting in the state that make no sense whatsoever. We, we, we don't want to be the, the middle of a roundabout where God has to go, I got to go around them because they're not going to help me at all. We want God to be able to go right through and say, my spirit is in you, it's filling you, it's working through you, and there's going to be power out of you and an influence of ministry because of you. That's what's happening here with Abijam and Asa. And if we're going to be people who are blessed by God, it starts with how we're doing in terms of doing what is pleasing in the Lord's sight and how faithful we are removing sin from our lives. It can't just be good intentions. There has to be transformation and reformation and sanctification going on in our lives so God can use us. Now, how do we do that? Let's follow Ace's example. Write a couple things down. I'll just be a couple minutes here. Write, write down a couple ideas here from Ace's example. First, we have to confront the distortions of morality. We have to confront the distortions of morality, and that starts with us. Somehow, from the time of David and Solomon, who built the temple, and God was praised, and all the people stood for hours and hours and hours and hours out in the courtyard of the temple while they opened the text of the law, and they read the law, men, women, children, there was no nursery, there was no child care, there was no coffee, there was no nothing. The people stood for eight hours in the middle of the temple and listened to the law be read. We've gone from that to 20 years after Solomon died, we've gone to a drastic perversion of the temple. Now, it all started with Solomon getting involved with a thousand women, even though God said, don't marry anybody, don't marry any women from strange nations, because they'll tear your heart, and, and they'll draw you from me. Solomon didn't listen. He had 300 wives and 700 lovers. Thousand women, they brought in their strange gods. Solomon started to listen to him. His heart got distorted. The nation got distorted spiritually, and they moved into depravity. This is the type of thing that's going on in our nation, and it's what's so frustrating because people are worshiping the creation rather than the creator, and they're following their own lusts and desires rather than the things of God. Now, Asa wouldn't allow it. Asa said to himself, Sin can't be justified if we're going to be blessed by the Lord. So in order to be blessed by the Lord, we've got to get rid of sin. Now that might hit home because we get very skilled at justifying immorality. Culture's strong and we can resist it and we have to resist it. Instead of giving in, we've got to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, you've got to keep me pure. See, justifying sin is a slow but steady process. 
They didn't go from worshiping and praising the Lord and saying, we'll serve the Lord, to the next day having male prostitutes in the temple. But over the span of 20 years, that's exactly what happened. They're worshiping and praising God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Solomon says, are you going to serve the Lord? People say, absolutely. We are on board. We are going to serve God. It is going to be tremendous. And then Solomon turns from the Lord. And then Rehoboam comes in. And Rehoboam's nasty to the people. And then we get Abijam. And Abijam just continues to the place where the holy place of God, the temple that, that David had dreamed about building, the, the place that was filled with tons of literally, of gold and silver, the, the, the magnitude and the wealth of the temple is beyond anything we can comprehend. Where the Ark of the Covenant was, the holy place of God, now in the holy temple of God, 20 years, two decades after Solomon, there are now male prostitutes practicing what they do in the temple. Sin moves steadily. It progresses. It starts as a thought, and then we allow it, and we tolerate it, and then our emotions get involved, and our heart gets involved, and then it dominates our thinking. It can be a spiritual gift that God's given you that has become a source of pride. It can be admiration of another person that has turned into full-blown jealousy. It can be a friendship that you've allowed to turn into lust and compromise. It can, be, it can be a trial that instead of refining you, you've allowed it to make you bitter and, and, and lack in faith. It could be wisdom that God granted you that turned into self-righteousness. It could be uncertainty about your future that God wants you just to pray and depend on Him, but now it's become stubborn opposition to His leading. See, it gets twisted so easily. And if we don't guard our hearts what God intends for good, then we turn into evil. And to stop that, we have to be honest with ourselves, and we have to face it head on and say, I cannot allow this. Asa looked around and he said, you know what? This situation is not tolerable. Second, would you see that we have to remove anything, anything that is an offense to God. The legacy of Solomon, and then Rehoboam, and then Abijam, was that they allowed false gods throughout Judah and had actually built places of worship to these gods. It's shocking that within the site of the temple, and you've seen pictures of Jerusalem, you see that gold dome, you know, Jerusalem, that's that's a Muslim mosque. It's the second or third most holy place of Islam. Well, that doesn't belong there, and it's not going to stay there because that's where the temple was. It's called the Temple Mount, and someday there's going to be a new temple there. Well, you've, if you've seen pictures of Jerusalem, you know that there are hills all around Jerusalem, and then there's a valley that encircles it. It's called the Kidron Valley. Jerusalem sits up on a plateau. It's called Mount Moriah. It's where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. So, Everybody, when the temple was there, anybody in Jerusalem at any point could look and see the temple. It was that visible. Well, now these wonderful kings, Solomon, Rehoboam, and Abijah, now they've built kind of new temples, not with the scale and grandeur of the old temple, but they've built new places of worship all around the temple. And the places of worship all around the temple are for false gods. 
So people will be walking toward Jerusalem, and they'll see the holy temple of God where the, where, where the Holy of Holies is and where the Ark of the Covenant is. And instead of going there, they'll go to a different temple and they'll worship a false god and say, oh, praise to you, Baal. Praise to you for all you've done. And they've allowed this to happen. So Asa says, uh-uh, not anymore. I don't care what my grandfather did. I don't care what my, what my, my dad did. I, I, I care about what I'm going to do. And it says that he tears them down. He goes around and he starts cutting them down. People are like, what in the world are you doing? And he's like, Listen, we're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to worship false gods because there's only one God. His name is Jehovah and his temple's right there. And we're not going to have anything else that competes with him because he's the one we need to worship. See, this applies to our lives. We have to learn that in order to move forward in our walk and to be sanctified and conform to the image of Christ, we have to get rid once and for all of the sins that so easily beset us. To, to think that we can hold on to our past life and continue to play with and nuance that and permit what's offensive to God and expect God to help us, we're, we're crazy. We can fool other people. We can fool ourselves. We cannot fool God. He's disgusted by that game. We read Romans 8.1 and we understand we can't just continue to live in sin so grace may abound. We have to get rid of sin. So Asa removed anything that was in offense to God. Third, would you see that we have to face up to those who stand against God. And not only face up against them because that sounds so harsh, we have to then teach them about the love of God. We don't really have time to develop it, but, but look at the courage. Look back at the passage. Look at the courage it took to take on his own grandmother, the queen mother, and eliminate her job because she had built a false god. It would be like Prince Charles walking into the, to Buckingham Palace today and saying, I won't do a fake British accent, queen, queen mother, you're done. Get off the throne. <laughs> She'd be like, what? Like, look, you're evil. She's not, but I'm just saying. You're, you're evil. You're done. I'm declaring to the kingdom now, you're done. Queen Mother, get off the throne. You, you now are banished. That's what he's doing with Maka. Can you remember, can you imagine the influence she's had? Absalom's daughter, the mother of Abijam, now the grandmother of Asa. I mean, she's got all kinds of tentacles in. Everybody knows and fears Maka. And Asa says, no, nah, I'm not, I don't care if she's my grandmother. I'm done with it. I'm done with it. They worshiped the gods, but Asa decided, nope, that's not going to dictate public opinion. I don't care how popular she is. She's done. Listen, if we want to bring reformation to our culture, listen carefully now. If we want to bring reformation to our culture and see revival within Christianity, then that work of reformation starts at home. Are our kids, I don't care if they're 4 or 40, are our kids learning about the Word and developing a stronger heart for God because of us? Are our houses places of worship and prayer and spiritual education? Do our kids look at us 
and see a deep love for Jesus Christ and a deep devotion to his word and a passion to live for him and a heart for people. I mean, I've got to weigh this all the time with my own kids because they're not small enough anymore that they, you know, think, wow, dad's great. Now they're adults. Now they're becoming uh, peers in a sense of age, not in terms of responsibility. So they're watching me. It's like Jacob now has his, his learner's permit. So now if I do anything in the car that is, is any way uh, offensive to the state of Wisconsin rules of the road, I hear about it. I, I just need to check my phone. It looks like somebody called, Dad, get off your phone. I'm like, oh, I'm going to pay you back for that in about three years. He's like, I can't imagine how anybody could text and drive at the same time because he's got both hands in the wheel and he's very, very careful. He's a very conscientious driver. But he's like, how could anybody text at the same time? I'm like, listen, in about three years, you're going to be trying to do it. But he's like, Dad, watch your speed. Dad, do you have your seatbelt on? Dad, did you use your turn signal? Dad, get off your phone. I mean, I'm going like, seriously? But you know what? It's awesome. Because it's reminding me, look, I have an example to set here. Do our kids look at us, even if they're grown? Do they look at us and see holiness? Do they look at us and see a love for the Lord that cannot be quenched? Do they see a hunger and thirst for righteousness? Look at verse 14 and we'll pray. It says, Asa's heart was holy devoted to God. Can you and I be described that way this morning? He takes his grandmother out of power. He cuts down the idols. He burns them. He honors God. And then he brings back the dedicated items back to the temple that Solomon had let go away. And this is kind of a fourth action that we're, we'll just mention. He reestablished what was right and good in place of what had been destroyed. In other words, he didn't just tear down. He built back up. And that's what God has done for us through this table, through salvation and sanctification. It's what he now wants to do in us on a daily basis. Look, I have taken care of sin. I've torn it down. I've removed it all from your life. It no longer has control of you. Now be built up in righteousness. And he gives us his nature, his spirit, his word, and his body so we can do that. So Asa says we've got to get rid of it. And then we've got to build back up. A nation, church, believer, We've got to dedicate ourselves to what is holy and what brings glory to God. So which king are you like? Abijam, who's marked by compromise and tolerance of sin and, and an unwillingness to remove what damages? Or are we like Asa? The courage to confront sin, the aggressiveness to remove what is offensive to God, the, 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 the decisiveness to stand against evil and then to rebuild with what honors the Lord. Listen, with all that's going on in the world, with all that is going on in the world, the need for repentance, the need for a cry to God for his mercy before Jesus returns, because it is imminent. I'm telling you, I'm not a prophet, but it is imminent. It would not surprise me if Jesus came today. In this time that we have left, how are we going to live? 
we even have an opportunity as a church in the next few weeks to invite kids and to say, we need, you, you need to come. You need to come hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to come hear about God's salvation. People all around us, not just in this neighborhood, but in every neighborhood of Racine, in every neighborhood of Kenosha, in every neighborhood of Union Grove, in every neighborhood of Oak Creek, there are hundreds and thousands of people that do not know Jesus Christ. And it is our job to tell them. So we have an opportunity over the next couple weeks to say, would you come? It's free. It won't, it won't be difficult. You just come and you have fun. And then we're going to tell them God loves you and Christ died for you. And you can be forgiven of your sins forever. But they're going to have to see it in us.